My name is Andrew McGinley. I'm the father of Connor, Dara and Carla McGinley, who passed away on the 24th of January, 2020. This is Shattered Lives, an Irish Daily Star podcast. I'm Paul Healy. On the 24th of January last year, the public was shocked to learn that three children, Connor, Dara and Carla McGinley, had been found dead in their home in Newcastle, West County, Dublin. Last week, the children's mother, Deirdre Morley, was found not guilty by reason of insanity of their murder. Their father, Andrew, now has serious questions for the HSC on her diagnosis prior to the deaths of the children and how certain changes to the Mental Health Act could possibly have prevented the tragedy. Andrew also spoke about the hate and the vitriol levelled towards his wife and even him, despite everything he's gone through but the brave father says he's determined to carry on devoting his life towards keeping his children's memories alive every day. When Connor, uh, Dara and Carla uh, died, you, you spend a lot of time, well, I did anyway, thinking about, I suppose the last time I spoke to them, the last time I, I held them, hugged them, kissed them. And for me, I suppose I, I thought about the last, you could call it unfulfilled promises uh, that I'd made. So it became pretty quickly uh, in early 2020 after the funeral when I had a bit of time to, to look back and, 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 and think about them and how I was going to try and move forward, um, that I would focus on those promises because they were, there were three sort of promises that meant a lot to, to the kids and therefore, and, and meant a lot to me. So for Connor, Connor wanted a, and I remember vividly, we were sitting, we're just finishing our dinner at the table, he was sitting beside me and he, he asked me, would I help him set up a YouTube channel? So I said I would. And um, and, and quite what he wanted to put on it, he never really got round to to um, thinking about, well, he, he initially thought about putting on some Minecraft videos. He used to get about a half hour of screen time a day. And he used to play a bit of Minecraft, uh, but he would see then on YouTube that people had uploaded videos and he thought about doing that. But when we talked about it, we, we thought, well, kind of there's quite a few people who do that. So would we do something else? And so we thought about some comedy sketches because Connor was a was a funny kid. He had a great sense of humor and anybody who follows Connor's clips on on, on social media will see I, I put up jokes that that from Connor's various joke books and stuff. But uh, we thought about comedy sketches because he had two very willing participants along with him in, in Dara and Carla. And I still have the little notepad um, uh, in in uh, in the room where he wrote down, we wrote down some sketches that we could do together and we would film them. And uh, with all of us, with the, with the whole family, and that that would be, possibly what we would put on Connor's clips. Um, Carla wanted a, a snowman. There was a bit of a flurry of snow in November 2019. It was the first time she'd seen snow. So she um, 
we managed to scrape together a, a snowman about the size of your hand out in the back garden. And at that time, she she was obviously watching the the, the Frozen uh, movies and was aware of Olaf. Uh, so we talked about when there would be decent snow that we would uh, build a, a bigger snowman. So I promised Carla to build a snowman. So as it doesn't snow every every year, one of one of the plans is to do a coloring competition in in Carla's name uh, called Snowman for Carla. Um, and finally, for for Dara, Dara wanted to, me to get involved with Rathcool Boys coaching his football team, and I said that I would. Um, and I and I have done so, but when I thought about Dara a bit more, Dara was involved in everything. He was in St. Mary's GAA in Sagard. He was in commercials hurling. Uh, he went over for athletics, the Rathcool Athletics. He threw his head into the scouts to see what was going on. He was in the drama club with Connor. Just Derek got involved locally. He got involved in everything. So the charity, I'm setting up a charity in Dara's name, which will be called As Dara Did. And it will be hoping to encourage people to get involved locally and to participate locally as Dara did. I, I don't want to take you back to the day for too long, but just to ask you about the moment that, I mean, you were on a, a, a trip to Cork, am I right? And you came home. Um, just given everything that you have said, you have mentioned the fact that you obviously you couldn't have seen this coming. So apart from the the, the horrific discovery, when, when it was first explained to you, um, that what appears to have happened here or did I mean when did you when did you find that out did you find out that night as to um, what they thought had happened and um, you know just what can you explain what it was like to hear I'm that not, I, yeah I'm not going to go into too much detail but there were notes left uh, that came out at the trial so I was pretty much um, aware how the how the children had done well who had taken their their lives and then subsequently, during the guard investigation, I suppose the graphic details that came out at the trial, I've been aware of those for probably about 14, 15 months um, and had to carry that with me. Um, and I didn't I didn't share that with anybody because I, I, I was hoping and I had made the request that that detail wouldn't come out in open court. But... Um, it, it seemingly had to because it was a jury trial and open court. So, um, yeah. Processing in your mind that your wife was responsible for what happened in that moment on that first day. You, you listen, I couldn't tell you what happened in the two or three hours after I discovered their bodies. I don't know who I spoke to. There was people speaking to me and I wasn't even, I was just looking at them blankly in the face. You just, you're in shock. You're, you're in horror. You're, yeah, I, it's not a, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're just in shock. In the beginnings of this, when people didn't know the circumstances, the general public I'm talking about now, the misinformed, um, uh, and I'm talking in the early days, when there were no virtually no details as to what happened, did you have a lot of, um, misin- were you frustrated by misinformation going out or did, did anyone ever, point the finger at, at even you and say, oh, you must have had something to do with this or whatever. Did that ever happen to you? Um, I, I did see one comment again on Facebook where a lady said that 
a mother couldn't possibly do this, that it had to be the father that killed the kids. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and there was, I know that the Gardaí spoke to a number of people, um, in relation to spreading false information. So, yeah. Was this early on or? Yeah, yeah. Literally in the days after the, uh, the children died. Um, Obviously, you, if there was never any suggestion, that, and I feel it's important just to state this, given that we've just said that, but there was never any suggestion and and, and you were never a suspect in the case. Um, but I, I do think in those early days, I mean, I saw it myself. I mean, people just made assumptions because they didn't have the full facts. And they said, oh, it, you know, I, I saw it myself. So that's why I felt I needed to ask you that because that apart, apart from everything else you were dealing with, to have to deal with, um, people pointing the finger at you when they didn't know the facts. I, I just can't imagine what that was like for you. You know, you're you're trying to process everything else, and then you 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 see somebody post on Facebook an accusation like that, and I wish now that I had a taken a screenshot and 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 got their their details and everything like that. But you're you're just in shock. You're just you know, um, yeah, I'd like to have a, a chat to some of those people. Are you still getting that? I mean, you mentioned abuse on Facebook. Are you still getting that kind of abuse even now? It's the comments that are ill-informed, uneducated. Just, yeah, there are some. That's why I've seen some of them yesterday. I just thought enough is enough. I, I just don't need Facebook in my life. So um, I want to move forward positively. I don't think Facebook is a very positive place. However, I do have to say that the engagement of the users or the followers who followed us on Facebook was very, very positive. But it's a, I suppose, the corners where maybe people posting comments didn't think I would see them or wouldn't become aware of them. They never directly came on and commented on the Connors Clips Facebook page, but they did on other pages. We mentioned the fact that it came out in the trial, the manners in which your children's lives were taken. Um, the one particular element that I think disturbed the entire country or anyone who read the, the story was in regards to the amount of time and the, just the fact in terms of, you know, that, that, two were, that two were taken and then there was a period of time between the two and, and the last. When you found that out, just in terms of, of the amount of time it took, the amount of, and I guess it's a, it's a testament to the fact that your, your wife was not in the right mental state. Just what was it like to hear that detail for the first time as, in terms of the amount of time that it took for all of their lives to be taken? Um, I struggled with it because I didn't understand it. Um, I spoke at length with Ronan Malani, who is the uh, head of the team who is currently treating D. And I have to say, he, he gave me a better understanding of, of it, of insanity. And I have to take it that it was an act of insanity. There's no other way to describe it. And that D was insane at the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the only way that I can understand it.
that it was an act of insanity. So in in terms of though as as a father in terms of knowing your your children's last moments and for the whole country now to know those un, unfortunate really sad moments of you know that that they may possibly have have known uh, what was happening to them have you come to terms with that I don't think I'll ever come to terms with that as I would imagine anybody would did you go through a range of emotions like did it begin with did it begin with anger yeah yeah and upset you 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 experience every every sort of emotion um you still do I still do on a daily basis um I don't want to be angry that's that's I was always I would have considered myself a positive person um optimistic um so I don't want to be angry um and at the moment you know last night when I seen some of the comments on Facebook I thought uh, enough is enough I don't think I got angry, but I just, enough is enough. I'm done with it. I don't need this in my life. Um, but I do still feel uh, a bit of anger with the HSC, uh, the, the mental health teams who still haven't reached out to me. I believe they released a comment to one of the, uh, to one of the media, the printer press yesterday saying that they would not be commenting further at this stage. Um, they did release uh, a statement, I think, since we last spoke, that they mobilised for a serious incident, they mobilised what they call an interagency response team. Now, I, <clears throat> I know nothing about this team. I haven't heard of them before. So if they have such a team, I would imagine that they would have considered the murder of three children by a patient in their care a serious incident. So I would imagine that team, had I been in control of it, I would have, right, lads, we need to get mobilised straight away. Um, the kids died on a Friday night. So whether they wait until Monday morning or whether it got mobilised on Saturday, but I, I suppose if there's a response team, they've, they've formulated a response and I'd like to see that response. I don't know who it goes to. They didn't elaborate further. Um, but if they've done that, then, then brilliant, but they need to share that response from that interagency team. And then they spoke about confidentiality of the patient. They haven't even spoken to the patient, the treating teams who were treating D before the children died have not been in contact with D. So patient confidentiality, fine. Speak to the patient. Uh, you've mentioned this, that, that D is now sharing everything with you and the family. We're, we're still um, waiting for uh, uh, an official release of, of records and I'm trying to get a transcript of the, uh, the court, uh, the trial. Just things take time and... As time passes, you just get a bit of frustration. Uh, for me, as I say, I'm in the middle of this tunnel. I just want to get out of the tunnel and, and move forward positively. And I can't do that unless I get the engagement of the HSC and everybody else that I've been asking questions of this week. So hopefully they'll help me. They'll come back. They'll give me the information. They'll work with me. They'll speak to me. I think I'm a reasonably uh, personal, uh, personable uh, person. Uh, if they want to call around for a cup of tea and a chat, the door will be open. So, yeah, speak to me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to be coming on radio shows saying I haven't heard from people. 
you know, nobody's talking to me. Well, look, just in terms of of of, of the, you know, there were no warning signs. You said this to me before, and, and and how could you have a warning sign for something like this? But did she ever express to you, you know, I I I am no. struggling mentally or or anything? Oh, we we knew she was ill. We knew, um, you know, that she was seeking, she was in treatment. We were all aware. I mean, um, her siblings had brought her down to. Um, uh, St. Pat's and we like, so, you know, and Nadine brought the kids in to see her and it was that, you know, um, uh, mom is tired and, 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 you know, hasn't been eating enough vegetables and fruit. So, you know, she just needs to recharge her batteries and she'll be back out. And the kids were, you know, accepting of that. And, uh, and they enjoyed going in to visit, uh, Dee there. And she was looking forward to, to, to getting out and, and being part of, uh, the family. And, um, so, we knew, but you, you, at, at the end of 2019 and before the kids died early 2020, we as a family thought Dee was improving. And to the extent that Dee was chatting about going back to work. And we know now from the trial that the professional services treating Dee knew that she was in decline. They knew that. So that shows you that when two different parties, um, and I suppose D was the, the fulcrum in the middle, we're seeing one side, whereas they're, I suppose, getting a more, we, we, we were sort of working off what Deirdre was telling us because we had no direct contact with her treating teams and our treating teams knew exactly what was going on, but didn't engage with us. So we're thinking, brilliant, everything's getting better. And they're going, everything's getting worse. And here's a huge big decision that you have to make, Deirdre. Get on with it. Um, I, I, if that is best practice mental health care, then I'm worried for this country. I'm worried for the mental health services. I'm worried for every patient that's in there. It's shocking to me. Um, I, I know that you have stop short of saying it's a failing of the health service, but do you feel now that the health service has failed you or is it failing? Is it just the way that, that it is currently structured, that it is, that it's not prepared for a situation like this? All I can see is from my perspective, I suppose. So if hearing about a patient's concern and not contacting the other parent if that is best practice if that is what is documented correct mental health treatment process and is seen as being the best thing for the patient and the children and the loved ones of the i'll accept that i can't see how it is but if they can show me that 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 is the way that you act that you say nothing if a patient can, um, raises concerns about being a parent. I'd have to accept that. But I would struggle to understand how that is. So I just need them to sit down with me and talk to me. Um, talk to us. I'm quite happy. I mean, we can probably arrange it with, with DN myself and, and, uh, with support for us, uh, to, to sit with the HSE, uh, the treating teams. And just to go through the medical record, because as I say, I sat at the trial and some of the, uh, 
some of the stuff that was coming out was new to us as a family. It was new to me. It was, it was, we, we realize now that Dee didn't want any of us to know how bad she was. She was trying to put her best foot forward. She was trying to cope. But if she was in unloading to the treating teams and raising concerns, those concerns I feel should have been raised with us. I just wanted to ask you that because it, it, it must be a terribly frustrating thing that they are releasing public statements, or to be it to the media or be it just they are releasing general statements about, oh, we're going to do this and that and we're going to have a response team. And yet uh, they haven't actually contacted either uh, Dee or yourself. And yet they feel comfortable to give a comment to the media. You know, I, I just think that and must I, be frustrating. I understand that. I issued a statement because I don't know what other way to do it. But they know where I live. They know where D is. They know where I am. So I put a statement out because it was it felt the only way I could reach them. Um, I believe on the Thursday or Friday after the trial, they did release a, uh, a comment that if Mr. McGinley would like a meeting, he can write to us. Um, very helpfully, they didn't provide an address or who I should write to. So again, uh, I think I'm going to pop a letter in the post actually this evening just to say to whom it may concern. I think I'll have to address it HSE Ireland because I haven't been given a specific address and I'll see, do I get a response? Um, because if they've asked me to write to them, that's all I can do. But to who and to where? You've, you've mentioned that it, it came as a shock in the trial that um, a different diagnosis was given in regards to your wife's mental health to the one that you uh, were aware that she had been given previously. And that is as a source of immense frustration, I would imagine, for you. It, it, those are the answers that you now need um, as to why there are different diagnoses in regards to your wife. Am I right? Um, yes, uh, and particularly I, I'm deeply, deeply troubled by the events over at the end of 2019 and the start of... Uh, 2020 leading up to the deaths of uh, Connor, Dara and Carla. It seems, and it came out in the trial, that when our local GP, who I can't speak highly enough of, when they uh, raised concerns about Dee's diagnosis and her mental health directly and feeling that she should be readmitted, um, the treating teams decided that uh, they would leave that decision to D. Now, I'm not a medical expert. I do not have a mental health qualification. I don't have a string of letters after my name. But when I think about mental health, I think it's an illness of the mind. And your mind is where you make your decisions and you formulate your responses and it's where your thought process happens. And if you have a mental health illness, then there's a possibility or a probability that all of those functions have been impacted. So for the treating teams who are the professionally trained and knowledgeable and experienced teams to put a huge decision on D, knowing that she had a mental health illness that was possibly or probably impacting response thought process and decision 
I find that I, I, I have no words. I'm, I'm reasonably decent speaker, but I am lost for words. I'm shocked. I'm appalled. I'm disgusted. I'm sickened. And not to include us to say, listen, you know, they didn't even, if they wanted to, to, um, respect patient confidentiality, all they had to say to us was, listen, there's been a, a major decision that's been left with D. You know, um, we, we hope we need to hear back from her and we need to advise you on that. The other key point that I did, did have was, um, at the trial when the medical expert, Brenda Wright was cataloging all the, uh, the meetings and counseling sessions that D had had. And it seemed to be at each meeting, D was mentioning that she felt overwhelmed as a parent that she was struggling to cope as a parent. Uh, she was finding it hard, uh, to be, a, uh, to be a parent. At what stage was I going to be told? Um, because Dee was coming back here and looking after the kids and was in my eyes, a loving and devote, a devoted mother. And yet she's speaking to them about how she's struggling and overwhelmed and not able to cope. I would have thought the first time she mentioned that I should have got a phone call. I can't see any excuse why I wouldn't have. And I'm again shocked and appalled that somebody would sit and listen to D express those concerns and not think that I should be told. I, I seen reference that uh, Mary Butler, the Minister for Mental Health, is seeking to bring legislation before the doll. I believe that was based on a working group from 2015. That's my understanding. I will stand corrected if I'm wrong on that. Um, but the, the vast majority of that information is now from that period is probably out of date. I believe that you learn from experiences so I think it would be a worthwhile exercise for Mary Butler to speak to the likes of myself or to the likes of Una Butler, who experienced a similar tragedy back in 2010. Uh, Una campaigned long and hard back then uh, to, I think, Minister of Health and others, and no change was made. Had changes been made after the deaths of Una's daughter, Zoe and Ella, then those changes could have, in fact, I would say would have prevented the deaths of Connor, Darren, Carla. When you put it in those terms, I mean, it just, it's so stark. Yeah, so I think any legislation that's being brought now has to be robust enough that it prevents any further deaths of innocent children. You have so many memories of your children, you know, so it's kind of a hard question to ask, but, you know, in those last few days and weeks do you have any kind of memories that stand out or you obviously everywhere you look I mean I, I still have their trampoline in the back garden the two lads rain hail or snow were out in the trampoline so you know you if I, if I look out in the trampoline I can still picture them out there and stuff like that but the promises are are are, are a strong memory and be, I suppose it's because what I'm I, I'm going to carry on for them and to, you know, hopefully 
uh, keep their memory alive with it's it's the promises and that I made which are which are key to me and then when I read through the lads comic books you know there's a there's one where there's an aunt and uncle who get married in Dundalk and I'm thinking I I, I can't the kids had never been in Dundalk so I have no idea how Dundalk come into to to be in where this um aunt and uncle in in a comic book were ending up getting married in Dundalk so it's it's and I, I think I referred a little bit to that in my eulogy because they were probably at school and somebody mentioned about Dundalk and having a wonderful time maybe you know one of their friends had relations there or whatever so whether it be Connor or Darren must have thought geez Dundalk sounds like a great place and 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 it made their way into one of their comic books. So I think they're great imaginations, but I mean when when you get chatting to people, I mean there's a there's a wonderful story. There's a couple of wonderful stories about them, but one that one that struck me was uh I met one of their friends and uh uh and I was just chatting to him whilst his mum was in the shop and he was outside and I was chatting to him and he said to me yeah, we, we're kind of stuck now a bit because we used to wait until Dara came out to organise us as to what game we were going to play. And uh, so Dara was the guy who used to come out and, and right, today we're going to do this. And you just, you to know that side of it is, is, is it's because you don't see them at school. But to think that, all the other kids were so like, oh, Dara's the guy who'll, who'll get us all organised to play whatever game. And then one of the, um, one of the school mums said to me that um, her daughter was there one day watching all the all the boys were there with their match attack cards, playing match attacks. And Dara actually noticed that uh, his his classmate was there and she was watching and, she, you know, so he gave her some of his cards so that she could join in. And to hear that was beautiful. But knowing Dara, he probably gave her the worst cards that he had. <laughs> so, <laughs> But it was just a beautiful thing to hear that he didn't want to see somebody not being involved and not included. So, you know, he handed over some of his, his match attack cards so she could. And that's typical. That for me was which prompted the charity as well as Dara did. Dara wanted everybody to be involved and to participate. So if we all could do as Dara did, you know, our communities would, would be fantastic places for, for children to be raised in. If I set up a charity and nobody contributes to it, then it's just, it's, it's you know, it would break my heart to see it fail. Um, so I hope people can get behind it and get behind the message behind it. Uh, and when I do get round to it, finishing off the books with some of their characters. Hopefully uh, people will will find that I've done a half decent job and, and, and buy some of those books and and that that will keep their memories alive. This week Andrew has already raised an amazing forty thousand euro for his new charity, as Dara did. It is a testament to the love and support he has received from a country shocked by the deaths of his precious children. The grieving father says he has plans to continue to carry out the legacy of Connor, Dara and Carla through the charity, through books and through various community projects which he hopes will help others for years to come. 
you can find more episodes of Shattered Lives on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts and Deezer. Thank you for listening.